Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Monday Night Mishle Proverbs class. Tonight we are studying the sixth chapter. We are in the middle of a great discussion, continuing on things that we spoke about last time. Um, last chapter, uh, last part of uh, the first part of chapter six, we spoke about the uh, the importance of avoiding commitments that are beyond your abilities. Uh, thereby being diligent in their deeds and actions. And we learned a lot of lessons from the ant. The idea to be industrious, not to be lazy, to perform good deeds, be wise from the ant. Um, today we're going to see some other pieces of advice that, uh, that Shlomo HaMelech is informing us. And we're going to end the class with one of the more famous Pesukim that we have in all of Tanakh, actually. And we'll touch upon the notion of Torah study, of course, and how it affects us, not just now, but even in the, in the next world, and the reward that comes in the world to come. So we begin on Pasuk Yudbet, if you're following inside, wherever you're listening to it, either, either live or on a recording, wherever you are in the world, Pergvav, Pasuk Yudbet, the first few Pesukim that we're going to speak tonight, deals with dishonest people. And how these individuals will be undone. The dangers of certain undesirable character traits that can lead to some very, very grave transgressions. And Shlomo HaMelech begins Pasuk Yudbet by saying, Adam Beliyaal Ish Avin, Holech Ikshut Peh. The lawless person is a man of sin. He goes forth with distortion of the mouth. Whenever you see the word Belial, here translated as lawless, it is a word that connotes the worst of the worst evils. Whenever you see Belial in the Torah, you can picture in your head, Mamash, the lowly and the most uh, concentrated Rasha you can imagine. Belial is a combination of the words Beliol. Beliol means without a yoke. He casts off God and the yoke of God from him. This individual is so sinful that he perverts with his mouth with a slanderous intent, says the Mitzudot. A person who casts off the sovereignty of both God and man, he does whatever evil he sees fit to do. And there are three parts to this pasuk. You have Adam Belial, you have a lawless man referring to man's evil deeds, and he, perp- uh, he, he, he perpetrates evil. He fears nobody. Then you have Ish Avin. Ish Avin is an individual, of a man of sin. A man's referring to a person's thoughts. Uh, and although he may speak nicely, and he, uh, he's, he's very um, eloquent in the way he talks, nevertheless, he harbors feelings of sin in his heart. And the last is you have Eikshut Peh. Distortions of the mouth, and that refers to a man's evil speech. So that was the words of the Vilna Gaon. Three levels of sinning here mentioned in this Pasuk. And here he goes on to describe him in more metaphorical ways. This man, this Belial, winks with his eyes, he scrapes with his feet, he points with his fingers. All of these terms. Um, describe a form of signaling, of hinting. They all describe the wicked people, and they all hint to lashon hara and slander. 
Tapuchot belibo, perversities in his heart. His heart's thoughts are to transgress things from what they really are. He says yes, but in his heart, he thinks the opposite. He says no. Choresh ra bechol et. He plots evil all the time. When a person plows the ground, choresh, when he plows and he prepares the soil for seeding, this man same, he his evil thoughts are the prelude, is the planting, is the is the plowing to the evil deeds that are going to sprout from the ground. Midyanim yeshaleach. He incites strife. He constantly plots evil and incites fights among people. These pesukim demonstrate that once a person rejects God's sovereignty, the Adam Belial, there's no doubt in our mind that he will surely perform all the evil activities that follow. The Malbim says that these pesukim that we just read, there are seven characteristics by which the Adam Belial, the lawless person, who flaunts the commandments between him and his creator. And he's also an Ish Avin. He disregards the commandments between man and his fellow man. And he lists them out over here. Number one, through his speech against the dictates of what Chokhmah is, wisdom. He sins with his eyes. That's the verb, the, the, the pasuk that talked about winking. He disregards the Torah laws. With his movements, he in his readiness to do evil with his action, with his hands. The Pasuk says he points with his fingers, so he sins with his hands. The Pasuk also said perversities in his heart, so therefore he sins with his thoughts, and he, he begins to think and harbors heretical ideas. He plots evil at all times, and although in his and also in his thoughts against fellow man, and finally he incites strife amongst others. Alken, therefore, Shlomo HaMelech says, Therefore, his misfortune will come suddenly. He will be broken in an instant without healing. The word peta and pitom are both terms which imply immediacy. Pitom denotes immediacy of time. And peta means the swiftness of action, says the Malbim. He's not going to be aware of his downfall because he's going to get wiped out so fast. There is no remedy for it because it comes so fast. Since he constantly harbored uh, evil thoughts in his mind and against others, then his punishment will come suddenly and allow him no time to plan an alternative course of action to save himself. He will have no remedy. He cannot repent. God hates people who incite strife. And in the next few Pesukim, he explains the root that, that the root cause behind the action. Why is it? Shesh hena sane Hashem ve'sheva to'avat nafso. Hashem hates these six character characteristics, but the seventh is the abomination of his soul. The seventh is included in the in the th seven things that Hakadosh Baruch Hu hates. It's an abomination to Hashem. It's hated even more than the others. There's actually a machloket between the Mefarshim on which of the following seven is considered the abomination. We know he hates all of seven, but one of the seven is the abomination, the worst of the worst. According to the Me'iri, the seventh most abhorrent trait is the one that's mentioned first. The one which the Pasuk is going to mention first very shortly, which is a trait of arrogance, or Enaim Ramot. 
haughty eyes, arrogant eyes. It's the cause, it's the cause of the six hated things that come after that. That is the opinion of the Me'iri. The Malbim says, no, it's the seventh and worst thing that God hates. The abomination is the last one of the seven that we're about to mention, which is inciting strife among people. So the seven things are now enumerated in the next few Pesukim. Says Pasuk Yudzain, Ainaim Ramot Leson Shaker Veyadaim Shofchot Dam Naki. Haughty eyes, a false tongue, and heads, hands shedding innocent blood. Ainaim Ramot refers to the trait of arrogance, of Ga'ava. For one who is arrogant, he lifts his eyes towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu, opposed, as opposed to the humble who look down towards um, towards the ground. The Ramban, in his famous letter, the Igeret Ramban, which he recommends that every Jew read every day, and I recommend that every Jew read every day. It's an unbelievable letter, not long. He advises the, inv- the individual on how to accustom himself to practice humility, how to act humbly. And there he writes, and I quote, Let your words be spoken gently. Let your head be bowed. Cast your eyes downward and your heart heavenward. These are the words of the Ramban, Nachmanides, and as he get it to his son, the most important thing a person needs to do is be humble. This individual, Enayim Ramot, is the opposite. He lifts his eyes upwards. That's number one. Again, we said to the Meiri, that's the most abhorrent, that's the worst character trait that a person can have. Leshon Sheker, a false tongue. In other words, simply false speech. Ve'adaim shofchot dam naki, a hand shedding innocent blood. The Ebenezer says in reference to a murderer. The Vilna Gaon says, um, in describing the full gamut of the evil person's wickedness, you have his thought, his thought, you have his speech, and the fact that he's a deceiver. Those three things can bring a person to very, very high levels of wickedness. The next two things are mentioned in Pasuk Yudchet, two of the seven. Lev A heart plotting iniquitous thoughts, feet hastening to run to evil. Again, you have a heart here devising ways to harm people. That's all he thinks about during the day is how am I going to get back at this guy? How am I going to bring this person down? What can I say to cause this guy's downfall? What can I do? What can I send? What can I post to cause this guy's downfall? This is what he's thinking about. And the next thing is the feet that are rushing to perform evil acts. Before a person has any time to think about regret, he's already doing it. Some people, they don't, they don't begin to think before they act. And they're just, before they know it, they are engulfed in, uh, in Averot. Yafiach kezavim edeshaked. A false witness blowing deceptions. People who testify falsely in court. And last but not least, according to Malbim, this is the worst of the worst, one who stirs up strife among brothers. This last trait is that of causing strife among people who we should be loving, or a person should be loving of him. The Malbim explains that the incitement of strife among people is worse than the other six sins. You know why? Because it mamash brings the destruction of society. When there is unity, when there is shalom in Klal Israel, then God's spirit rests, His Shekhinah rests on the Jewish people. 
But if there's strife, if there's fights and arguments, Hashem despises them, says the Vilna Gaon. Peace is such a potent force that it can even outweigh some of the most severe sins. Rashi in Parashat Bereshit asks a question, Parashat Noah, sorry, asks a question. Which sin is more severe? That of the generation of the flood or that of the generation of Dora Pelaga, the generation of the dispersion where God dispersed the nations? And he answers, the generation of the flood did not rebel against God. It was not a rebellion against God. And the latter, the one, the generation of the dispersion rebelled against God. They built a tower to fight God. Yet, it was the generation of the flood that was completely destroyed. Not the generation of the dispersion. Not the generation of the Pelaga. Why is that the case, says Rashi? The generation of the flood, he says, was noted for robbery. They were noted for causing disputes and discord. And that's why they were completely destroyed. The generation of the Pelaga, the dispersion, they lived in peace and harmony. Yes, yes, they fought God. But they lived in peace and harmony. And from here we see that they were spared a more severe punishment despite the evil of their their plans. This teaches us how hateful is dispute and how great shalom, peace, is in God's eyes. Peace is such a great virtue, Rabotai, that even if Jews worship idols but live in peace and harmony, God says, I have no power to punish them since there's peace among them. That's what the Midrash writes in Sefer Bereshit. An unbelievable statement. And that's why the Malbim says, a person who stirs up strife among brothers, ah, this is the worst of the worst. Sometimes a person causes strife by spreading gossip and slander. And this is another reason why the seventh sin is more severe than the other six, because a person who slanders, a person who says Lashon Ara, kills three people. He kills himself, he kills the listener and the person about whom is spoken. This is not me. This is the Gemaran, Masechet Arachin, Daftedvav, Amud Bet. The Midrash expounds Lashon Hara is a more serious transgression than the three cardinal sins of murder, idolatry, and adultery. Because a murderer kills only one person. Lashon Hara kills three, the speaker, the listener, and the one whom is about. And we learned this from the story of Doega Adomi in Sefer Shemuel. Doega Adomi told Shaul HaMelech and the, uh, uh, and that the Kohen Gadol, Achimelech, was a supporter of David. At the time, David HaMelech was running away from Shaul because Shaul wanted to kill him. Doeg found, that, found out that Achimelech Took refuge, uh, that David took refuge in the city of Nov where Achimelech was, was the king and the, uh, the, the main Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, and reported this to Shaul, and Shaul had the entire city wiped out. And because of that, Lashonara, all three were killed. Shaul, who believed Doeg Adomi, was killed in battle with the Plishtim at the end of Sefer Shmuel. Achimelech, who was the subject of the Lashonara, he was executed by command. Um, of, of Shaul HaMelech and of course Doeg Adomi the actual slanderer died at a young age and lost his share in Olam Abba, as mentioned in Masechet Sanhedrin the Hafez Chaim enumerates the consequences that result from slander and incitement to cause fights and he warns 
that these sins empower the Satan to prosecute the Jewish people in Shamaim. On the other hand, if there is shalom, if there is harmony, and there are no tail-bearers among them, then the Satan is neutralized. The Satan has absolutely no power and cannot condemn them even for such a sin as idol worship. What is the proof to this? I quote you another uh, series of events in Tanakh, this time in Sefer Melachim, the generation of Ahav, one of the worst Jewish kings to ever live, worshipped idols. And yet, for some reason, Ahav's army was always victorious. He served as king for so long. How is it possible? How is it possible that he was so successful when he was, when his whole generation served idols because of him? Because of him. And the answer, the Midrash says, because there were no tail-bearers among them. Nobody spoke Lashon Ara among them. No one informed King Ahav that Ovadia, the prophet, was hiding a hundred prophets to save their life. And he saved them from certain death because Ahav wanted to kill the prophets. Ahav and, and, and uh, Izevel Amalka, Queen Jezebel, they wanted to kill the, the, all the prophets. And Ovadia hid them. And no one said anything. No one said anything. And as a result, and no one spoke Lashon Ara, he kept his kingdom for so many years, even though they were worshipping idols. It was unbelievable. On the other hand, the great and righteous David HaMelech suffered, su- suffered defeats. Even David wasn't, didn't have a perfect record. Even David suffered defeat because there was strife and there was Lashon Hara in his time. Hashem responds to a person's deeds, Midah Keneged Midah. If he controls himself and refrains from Lashon Hara, then, like we said, the, the Malach in Shamaim, the Satan, cannot accuse Klal Yisrael, cannot prosecute Klal Yisrael. But one who slanders another person, thereby enabling the Satan to bring the sins of the Jewish people before God, that is abhorrent to God. Because now he has no choice. He has no choice to listen to the Satan. The, the demands of the Satan and punish the Jewish people. Netzor beni mitzvat avicha ve'al titosh torat imecha. Seek ways to keep the commandments. Listen, my child, the command of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Commandments, mitzvot, can only be fulfilled at their designated time or when the opportunity presents itself. If someone is not well and I have an opportunity to visit the sick, so I get up and I go visit the sick. Some mitzvot are time-bound, like shaking the lulav. I shake the lulav on Sukkot. I don't shake the lulav in the month of Cheshvan. Therefore, in reference to mitzvot, the verb that's used is netzor. Netzor is to guard, to preserve them until the opportunity to perform them arises. Torah, on the other hand, needs to be studied always, like we're doing right now. We're listening to a shiur. And, and, and it has to be studied all the time. And therefore, the warning of al-titosh, al-titosh means do not forsake Torah even for one minute. The word mitzvah connotes a command, which implies that the dictates of a superior. Someone is commanding you from a higher source, such as a father. 
a father that is commanding his child or a master to a servant. And that's why it says, Nitzor beni mitzvat avicha, the mitzvah of your father. Torah, on the other hand, means instruction, to teach. Teaching in the areas of faith, of ideology, ethics. Mitzvah is associated with the father, who is the authoritative figure who chastises and forces a person or his child to hear the instructions. Because you have to hear the commandments of the Torah, even if they go against your natural in- instinct. And we have many, many mitzvot that people don't feel connected to, but we still have to do them. That's why it's called a mitzvah. It's still commanded. And if he does so, he will not. Um, he will automatically not abandon the ideology of Torah. Because the soul is innately attracted to it, just like the child is very much attracted to the mother. Only when a person rejects a commandment, that defense mechanism will lead him to justify himself by denying the fundamentals of faith, says the Malbim. The Al-Sheikh says, the command of your father is in reference to the Torah Shebikhtav, the written law. And the Torah Imecha, the teaching of your mother, is Torah Shebe'alpeh, the oral law. The oral law is the Mishnah, the Midrashim, the Gemara, and everything that came after the Chamishah Humshay Torah. We were given both on Har Sinai. We were given the written law, and we were given the oral law. To the written law, not even one letter was added. Once Moshe Rabbeinu got Chamishah Humshay Torah, that was it. Until Adayom Azeh, Tavshin Pei Aleph, not one letter was, was added to it. This is comparable to the father's role in the child's conception. After the child is conceived, the father's role is over. There's nothing left for him to do. It's done. Can't add anything else. The oral law, the Torah Shebaal Peh, is compared to the mother's role. Because each succeeding generation draws upon the unbroken chain of Torah knowledge from the previous generations, just like a child nurses from the mother. The job of the mother continues and continues and continues. According to the Ralbag, the command of your father refers to the Torah, which Hashem, your father, commanded you to listen. But the teaching of your mother, the Torah Timecha, refers to the stories that are found in the Torah, which elevate a person and convey the legacy of our Avot that we're studying now in the Chumash. The forefathers are like the mother vis-a-vis God the Father. These teachings and these commandments that we must listen to, Kosrem al libecha tamid, ondem al gargerotecha. Tie them on your heart always, entwine them upon your neck. The heart signifies thought. We've spoken this before. And the neck signifies speech. And to bind them implies that the commandments are something that some that could often be foreign to the human instinct. And therefore we have to tie them to our heart with ropes, so to speak, to subjugate our heart to follow His commandments, to assure ourselves that these mitzvot are never going to be forgotten, and therefore we entwine them around your neck and your throat, but meaning what? We speak about them constantly, so that help you remember, help our children remember. The more we speak to our children about mitzvot, the more we tell them about Netilat Yadaim and Birkat Mazod at the brachot before you eat, the more it becomes a part of them. But sometimes they don't understand. It's not 
commentum. They don't grow up. They don't, they're not born reciting brachot. It needs to be heard. It needs to be the neck needs to move. The voice that, that comes from the, from the neck through the mouth, it needs to be heard. What to do, how to do it, when to do it, why we do it. And that's how the child learns. That's how a person, a student learns. And sometimes it's difficult. But nevertheless, we just say it and say it over and over and over again. And you'll see your child grab by constantly recounting and delving into the stories of our Chachamim. A person will begin to comprehend the meaning of the mitzvot, the the wisdom uh, that they contain, and all the amazing things that come embedded in these in these stories. We can learn the Torah. We spoke about learning the Torah on a simple level, on the level of Pshat, and then you have all the way to the level of Sod. You know, you, you read a story of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, you know, this week's Perashah of, of Yaakov lying down on Haramoriah, and he's put these rocks underneath his head, and he fell asleep, and there's a ladder, and angels going up and down. Okay, so if I'm studying in grade one, and, uh, and, and uh, in... Um, if I'm studying in elementary school, then I understand, cool, I got angels going up and down the ladder. But as you get older, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, and you delve deep in the Torah, what do those angels represent? Why are they going up? Why are they going down? Why are they first going up, then down? Who are these angels? There's so much behind the scenes. And this is something that we have to attain only through the study of the Torah. Beit lachecha tancheotach, beshochpecha tishmor alecha, a very famous pasuk. As you go forth, it will guide you. As you recline, it will protect you. And when you awake, it will converse with, with you. The Torah will lead you on the straight road. It will protect you from all types of harm and robbers who want to attack you at night. And when you wake up, it will speak with you like a good friend who entertains you. That's why when we go to sleep, we go to sleep with Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Morasha Ki'ilat Yaakov. And we wake up and one of the first things we say is Birkot Torah. The Torah is with us when we sleep and when we wake up. According to Rashi, as you go forth, the words as you go forth in this Pasuk is during your lifetime. And as you recline, is when a person passes away, when you awake, is in reference to the resurrection of the dead, to answer for their actions in life, which is it will speak on your behalf to defend you. Of course, let's recall the famous Mishnah in Masechet Avot of Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma, who was approached by a man who offered him all the riches in the world to come and live with him in his city. He was offered a fortune fortune as an inducement to move to where he lived. And he replied, even if you give me all the wealth, the gold, the silver, and precious jewels in the world, I would only reside in a place of Torah. When a person departs from this world, neither silver, gold, precious stones escort him. Only his Torah and good deeds remain with him, as taught in Perkei Avot. A similar idea, the Midrash explains that a person has three friends. His family, his money, and his good deeds. When he departs from this world at Ma'av Esreim, a person gathers his family and asks them, please save me from this decree of death. But they can't do anything. They are powerless in, in front of the Malach HaMavit. The same is true of his wealth. His good deeds, however, they respond, before you come, we will precede you. 
Your righteous deeds will precede you, as the Pasuk says in Yeshayahu. The good deeds are in front of you on your way to Gan Eden. They're already acting on your behalf. They're speaking to the Malachim. And the Kadosh Baruch Hu says, you got to let this guy in. The wealth, the wealth stayed behind. The family also stayed behind. But the good deeds, the Ma'asim Tovim, the mitzvot that you do, they're already signing you up to, so that you can enter the VIP section. This is what they're acting for. When you lie down in, 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 in the grave at Me'avesrim, when someone passes away, the merit of the Torah will protect his body to so much so that the worms and the maggots will have no effect on it. Such was the case, the Gemara says, of Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Shimon, and Achai Bar Yoshia, and other great righteous people. I remember hearing a story, an unbelievable story, a very scary story, about an individual who passed away in Eretz Israel. The person that told me the story heard it from someone that was there. You know, yes, it is like third person, but it's okay. I'll say it anyways. Person who passed away in Eretz Israel, and as they were burying him, when they were lowering him into the uh, the kever, a whole bunch of rats came and filled the kever. And uh, they said, oh my gosh, we can't bury this person here because, you know, it's a, it's a disgrace to the body. The rats were going to come and, you know, just consume the body right away. Let's go find another spot. So they went, to, they dug up another spot and they started lowering the body. And again, right before they were lowering the body, again, the rats came and filled in the grave. And they go, this is unbelievable, but we're going to have to try it again. We can't, it's not kavod for the body to do so. Can't do this. So they, they, they dug up a third spot. And as they were lowering the body into the third grave, again, rats filled up the grave. The Hebra Kadisha never saw this in their life, and they figured it was a sign from Shamayim. And unfortunately, they had no choice but to lower the body in that spot, and the rats came uh, over the body, and then they cover, obviously they covered it with dirt. Only a short while later, it was discovered that this person lent money on interest. And the Torah tells us that the word for interest is neshech. Neshech means to bite. And uh, this individual, although behind the scenes, was charging his fellow Jew interest for loans, something that is blatantly against the Torah to do. And uh, so if even the Averot, unfortunately, follow you until death. So the person, when he passed away, he couldn't even pass away in peace as his body was taken over by rats. It was a horrible, horrible story to listen to. But again, just reiterates this idea that we're mentioned. A person who has the mitzvot, the mitzvot follow him. But a person, God forbid, has the averot. Averot are also going to follow you. And even, even after we pass away. When you awake, when it comes time for Techiyat Tametim, the Torah and the wonderful deeds that we said preceded you, they're going to speak for you. They will speak for you. A person will be resurrected in the merit of his Torah study. The Gemara tells us in Masechet Ketuvot that a person who made use of the light of Torah in his lifetime will be resurrected by that light. Chafetz Chaim explains that a person's soul will delight in Gan Eden in the merit of the good deeds in life, but it was only the merit of Torah study. Can his body, which has already turned to dust, be resurrected? And he emphasizes the point with a mashal, with a metaphor, that even though the chances of 
fire in someone's home is very slim. A person knows that he's got to have fire insurance. He has to have house insurance so that he can rebuild the house in case it happens. So likewise, when it comes to life, he has to assure himself of the means to rebuild his body, which is absolutely certain to be destroyed by death. All of our bodies disintegrate. This is only possible if he has a guaranteed share in Torah study while he was alive. If a person engaged in Torah study while he was alive, that merit alone is what is going to bring help bring the resurrection and his body to be recreated in time for Techiyat HaMetim. And the last pasuk that we're going to learn tonight, like I said, probably the most, one of the most famous pasukim in all of Tanakh. Kiner mitzvah v'torah or v'derech hayim tochechot musar. We recite this pasuk during Hanukkah many times, being that it speaks about a lamp and light. For a commandment is a lamp and the Torah is light. The merit of a mitzvah is just temporary, like the flame of a lamp. But the merit of the Torah is or. The Torah is everlasting, like the light of the sun. The, the merit, the great merit of Torah study, we see many, many times in the teachings of Achachamim. The Mishnah enumerates all the mitzvot whose fruit a person enjoys in this world, but the sachar, the principle, the principle is reserved in the world to come. We say it every morning in Shachrit. But then the Mishnah concludes, the Talmud Torah keneged kulam. Talmud Torah keneged kulam. The study of the Torah is equivalent to them all. And according to one explanation, the entire universe is not equivalent to one word of Torah. Meaning, one word outdoes the whole universe. All the commandments are not equivalent to one word of the Torah. Avera mekaba mitzvah. Ve'en avera mekaba Torah. The Gebra Masechet Sotah, Davkaf Aleph Amur Aleph says that a sin is able to extinguish a mitzvah. person sins and it just blocks off, it X's out a mitzvah that you did the other day. But a sin cannot extinguish Torah study. Rashi explains that the sin extinguishes the reward for the mitzvah, but not the reward of a person who occupied himself studying the Torah. The Malbim says, sunlight comes from above. And that's why the light of Torah emanates from above and is part of a person's spiritual being, his divine soul. The light is eternal. It continues to shine for the Sadiqim even after their soul departs at Me'avesrim. The light of the lamp is dependent on the physical properties, the property of oil and a wick in order to give the light. And therefore the mitzvah is also connected to the physical part of one's being. And it's also limited as it were, by the existence of the body. I can only perform mitzvot when, I, when I'm here in this world and I'm alive and, and have a body to perform the mitzvot. Only of those that, like we mentioned in previous shurim, only those that prepared on Erev Shabbat can enjoy the Shabbat. Only here on this world do I have the opportunity to perform mitzvah. Once in Olam Abba, that opportunity is gone because my body is no longer there. It's no longer physical. The, the lamp is something that is connected very much to the physical and that's why the mitzvot as well. The Talmud illustrates this pasuk with a mashal. 
of a man who's walking in the dark of night and he fears thorns and thistles, wild animals, robbers along the way. He didn't even know where he was going. And he found a torch. And that torch enabled him to avoid the thorns, the pits, but he still feared the wild animals. And he still feared, feared the robbers. And he still didn't know his way. And the moment dawn came and the sun started to rise, he was saved from the wild animals and the robbers. The only problem is, he still didn't know where he was going. He didn't know his direction. And only when he reached the crossroads, that's what the, the Gemara says, when he reached the crossroads, was he relieved of that fear. So Rashi explains the parable. Someone who performs a mitzvah is only partially saved from punishments. Once he has the merit of Torah study, he is saved from the sin and from affliction. But there's still danger. There's a danger in the Yetzirah will overcome him and stop him from studying Torah. And only when he gets to the crossroads is he safe and secure from the Yetzirah, from the evil inclination. The Chachamim explained the crossroads in various ways. Either it refers to the day of death, Yom Mitah, because only then can a Tamit Chacham, a scholar, be sure that his Yetzirah has neither led him astray nor influenced him to abandon Torah. Or it refers to a scholar who has attained Yirat Shalayim, fear of God, fear of sin, Yirat, yirat Chet. Because now his Torah knowledge teaches him what is required and what is prohibited. And that fear of sin restrains him from chasing after the Yetzir Hara. Some even want to say that this Pasuk elaborates on the previous Pasuk that we mentioned, Pasuk Kaf. The importance of listening to one's father's command and the mother's instruction. The command of the father is like a lamp. If one obeys his father's command... It's as if he took the lamp to illuminate the darkness. Anything he may have lost now will be found with that help. The same is true of a person who heeds his mother's instruction. It's a source of light for him. <clears throat> the rabbis tell us in Masechet Shabbat, Kaf Gimel, we're in the month of Kislev, the month of Hanukkah, and the rabbis tell us that there's a direct connection, correlation between lighting the Hanukkah candles and meriting the light of Torah. The Gemara says, Haragil bener le'banim tamidei A person who is accustomed to lighting, whether Shabbat candles or Hanukkah candles, will have children who are Torah scholars. And Rashi explains, quoting our Pasuk here, that through the lamp of such mitzvot, like Shabbat and Hanukkah, a person is able to acquire the light of Torah. Since prayers are more readily accepted when they are offered during the performance of the mitzvah. That's why a woman prays for her children who will enlighten the world in Torah when she lights her Shabbat candles and Hanukkah candles. Specifically, Shabbat candles when they, the tefillah that the lady says when she lights a, um, uh, the Shabbat candles became a very famous song now. This is what the lady prays for. The, the Chidushe Harim once instructed his students, his Hasidim students, to study the Torah immediately after lighting the Hanukkah candles. Kiner mitzvah v'Torah or. He explained with certainty that fulfilling a mitzvah um, just shows how important the light of Torah is and how much more so when the mitzvah itself is out what lights up, uh, lights up the world. And the Pasuk ends, V'derech chayim tochechot musar. And reproving discipline is the way of life. Since Musar 
which we've spoken so much about the past in this series, since Musa rebu- uh, rebukes um, a person to a proper, productive way of life, this is the way of life. This is the derech chayim. The derech chayim is the tochechot musar. And even if someone has a lamp to illuminate his way, he still must be sure that he's going on the proper path. Or else, God forbid, the Malbim says, that light will be of no benefit. The force that leads him on the right path is the tochechot musar, is the discipline, the, the reproof, the tochacha. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai explains that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave three precious gifts to Klal Israel, and all were given only through affliction, through tzarot. The Torah, Eretz Israel, and Olam Abba. We learn that Olam Abba is bestowed through affliction from the words, V'derech chayim tochechot musar. That's what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says. The way of life, derech chayim, the way of life of the world to come is attained through affliction, through tochechot musar, quotes of Vilna Gaon. The righteous, the tzaddikim in this world, will attain their reward in Olam Abba through the afflictions that they suffer in this world, which serve for what purpose? To cleanse them of their sins. And we can imagine a little mashal, imagine a person was invited to attend a wedding, but until he removed all of the stains and all of the blemishes from his clothing, he could not enter to join the festivities. This is the purpose why we're here. We're here not for the first time. We've come back. This is the second, third, fourth. Who knows how many times we're back here. We have to remove the stains. We have to do a good laundering job of our clothing, the clothing of our neshama, our bodies, our souls. So much needs to be rectified. And Bezrat Hashem, through the tochechot musar, through the reproof and the rebuke and the, and the discourse and all the things that we go through in life, those things help us attain the derechaim. Those things help us attain following the proper path, of course, led by the shining light of Ner Mitzvah Torah Or, the light of the mitzvah, and the, lamp, the lamp of the mitzvah, and the light of Torah, which is everlasting. We will continue this next week. Bezat Hashem. Thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. Have a wonderful evening. The Finding Holiness podcast has been brought to you by Eli's Fine Foods. Check out their menu and other items and services on their website at elisfinefoods.com.